to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos at Equity Brewing. Joining me today is Greg at Banana Morphs. Hi. Matt Hubertson at No Pit Stops. Hello. And Reed at MF underscore Reed. Hey. For the last time. Thank you very much, Reed. It is time for some off-season discourse, including talking about Pac-12 awards and our snubs. We'll look back at the 2022 regular season. We'll talk about what was most surprising to us. We'll talk about the best units in the Pac-12. We'll talk about Troy, Ty- Troy Tyler, Troy Taylor getting hired at Stanford, and much, much more. But first, a programming note. Uh, we have more Pac-12 basketball episodes dropping Wednesdays at 5 a.m. Soon, this will become a very basketball-heavy podcast, but don't you worry uh, we're going to make sure to keep tabs on the football world. But Pac-12 basketball might actually be good again. Uh, I don't know if y'all saw, but the Pac-12 now has five teams in Andy Katz's first bracket prediction of the season. Uh, so we'll talk about that and a lot more. Uh, so stay tuned to this feed for Shooty Hoops Discourse. Matthew Hubertson, are you uh, are you keeping it all? Are you, have you How many minutes of Pac-12 basketball have I you watched? You said Andy Katz. What's an Andy Katz? <laughs> what? That's our. Uh, I thought Lunardi was the person. He's a person. I would say Andy Katz is like another person. I'd say Lunardi is probably a little bit more they have prestigious. Two people for college basketball. Uh, they have more. You know, they have two people for Where, college football. What is this market? Bruce Feldman to and Brett McMurphy. What? Lunardi is like the Heather Dinich of college basketball. If that helps, Matt. What? <laughs> I I kind of don't know who Heather Dinich is. Oh, she just exclusively talks about the playoff. Interesting. That's like her job. Yeah. Wow. Weird. Anyway, Pac-12 basketball. Greg, are you excited? You've been excited for Pac-12 basketball? I am significantly more excited for Pac-12 basketball than I was like two weeks ago (laughs) because I've been looking at the Kempom ratings and, of course, just the results. And There's a Kempom too? (laughs) (laughs) He's the Bill Connolly of college basketball, except I think Ken Palm has been doing it a lot longer. And I think he does it better. Throw up. Um, <laughs> but uh, the Pac 12 is actually ahead of the ACC. In, uh, yeah, I saw that. According to Ken Palm, which is interesting. Teams are playing well, specifically Utah. I'm, I'm enjoying the Pac 12 basketball season very much so far. Yeah, it's fun. Join us for our Pac 12 basketball episodes. Also, leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's happening again. We're getting review bombed by the dumbest people on Twitter. Uh, we got some mean one-star reviews. And to those reviewers, we say, we will not fuck you. I'm sorry. But we did get plenty of fun five-star reviews, including this one from The Mboozy Goat, a podcast by fans for fans. Lots of fun takes and good information from around the conference. If you're expecting expert analysis, this is not the pod. If you're looking to hear about the interesting goings-on around the conference, as well as plenty of fan banter, this is a great pod. Uh, thank you, Boozy Goat, and thanks to everyone who understands what this podcast actually is. Although I would say we're a little bit of experts now. We're, we're more expert than we used to be. Uh, but if you love the show, please drop you us. You still can't say Johnny Manziel's name. What do you mm, mean? That's true. Uh, I keep fucking that up. <laughs> I'm a Pac-12. I'm a Pac-12 expert. Anything outside the Pac-12, useless. Completely useless. Terrible. Uh, anyway, if you love the show, drop a five-star review. And if you write one up, we'll read our favorite every single week. Lastly, Subscribe to our Patreon. We'll still be talking about football there. Matthew Hubertson and I actually had a fun hour-long conversation about Utah football, the status of Utah football, where it sits. We kind of compared it to Oregon's rise a little bit. We want to read for there because I wanted to get some perspective from him. But it feels a little organy in terms of how they're growing. I wouldn't say like how they are now, but back in the 90s and 2000s, it's like, okay, Utah's been around, they've been around, then they broke through, and then they won the conference, and they won it again, and now they're getting their best recruiting classes ever. So Matthew Berson and I talked about that, the geopolitics that situate that rise uh, and what Utah's going to look like going forward. So it was a fun, fun conversation. Uh, We'll also be doing some individual team postmortems to assess their seasons, talk about each program, their direction, and all that. But yeah, subscribe to our Patreon at notruckstops.com. Okay, let's just get into the rest of our show. First up, Troy Taylor has been hired at Stanford. Matthew Hubertson, why don't you uh, recap this little nugget for us? Yeah, the Jake Browning merchant and former Utah offensive coordinator um, is reported to be taking the Stanford head coaching job. Uh, If and when Stanford does actually announce it, we won't get any further information, so we can just go ahead and talk about it. 
Um, Taylor has, so he's been the head coach at FCS Sacramento state since 2018 and like has done a genuinely good job, um, taking over a team that they were two and eight the year before in 2017, zero and seven in conference. Um, and he led them to the school's first undefeated regular season this last year. Uh, there had been a lot of noise about Taylor making the jump to the PAC 12 all season with the ASU and Colorado jobs opening up so early. Um, there have been several folks very intent on making sure that you know Jim Harbaugh came from the FCS ranks as well <laughs> since this hire got announced. So, like, please be aware of that. Um, what are what are our thoughts on this hire? I, Troy Taylor spent two years at Utah. Wasn't the greatest offense we ever saw. Reed, Reed what's your view of this? I don't even know. I, I don't know what to make of this hire, honestly. Um, it kind of has shades of, like, a guy who's won at his previous stop at a lower level. And I don't always hate those hires, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just missing out on like the real juice with this hire. Is he going to be like an ACE recruiter? Is his scheme going to really, uh, lead to winning immediately at Stanford in a job that's already tough to begin with? I don't know. In comparison to like the upside I'm seeing, with the Dion hire or even the Dillingham hire at ASU. I just don't really know what the path is to this being like a a plus hire for me. I'm curious to hear from Greg. He was the offensive coordinator at Utah and kind of much maligned. Do you feel like, I don't know. Do you, how do you view this hire as someone who watched Troy Taylor's iPhone offense back in Utah? Yeah. So I'm just very confused overall about this hire. Like, I don't know. If I feel, because I do feel kind of good about it now, as opposed to like two weeks ago when we were talking about it. Uh, and I think a big reason for that is because they just floated the worst names you've ever heard. <laughs> like, oh, Jason Garrett Brilliant. is a finalist. And when you're comparing it to Jason Garrett, fantastic hire. Good job, Stanford, not hiring St- Jason Garrett. But like, am I actually excited about Troy Taylor? I don't know, because as you said at Utah, his offense was not impressive uh at all like i get that there was a long time where if you're not andy ludwig and you were an offensive coordinator under kyle whittingham uh you weren't gonna have full autonomy but at the same time it's really really hard to ignore how much better utah's offense got the season after he left from 2018 to 2019 utah went from having your typical of that pac-12 era bad utah offense to having they looked like cal what they looked like cal. exactly it was like <laughs> it was like cal but better um and then in 2019 suddenly utah had a top two offense in the conference which is just an insane turnaround and it has to make you qu- ask questions about uh troy taylor as a play caller but he will be a head coach i don't know if he's going to call the plays at stanford i assume he will i think it would make sense surely they wouldn't allow that (laughs) (laughs) uh but he did such a good job at sac state that i think he has to be better than what we saw at utah and so i'm just i'm just really confused about how i feel about this one matthew hubertson what about i mean what about you i've heard the theory that Oh, you know, it's just like wasn't a good fit with what Kyle Whittingham wanted to do. And Kyle Whittingham actually has had a revolving door of offensive coordinators until Andy Ludwig came back. Uh, are you do you buy into that theory when it comes to Troy Taylor or or Yeah, it it's definitely difficult to evaluate him at Utah just because I, I do think that there's a lot to say about talent level the offensive line during that time period was certainly not great Mm. um and then obviously just the kyle whittingham thing i think so as far as like the offensive play caller troy taylor goes i think that he is definitely somebody because he came to utah from eastern washington where they were obviously part of this is cooper cup merchant but like he that offense that they had at eastern washington broke the FCS and the suggestion of to immediately turn around a team from 0 and 7 in conference to uh, 6 and 1 and to go from 2 and 8 to the second round of the FCF playoffs it tells me I I think that he just has an offensive scheme that breaks the FCS level. I I just think that that's just mm. what it is um and how it's able to work and I think that when it got applied at the Power 5 level 
and you didn't have necessarily the speed difference. You didn't have like you had defenders that can actually tackle, uh, not including USC in that conversation. Like I, I think I just I don't think that the offense really worked, frankly. Um, a lot of I, I've never seen, especially because Aaron Roderick was there before, so many three yard passes on third and seven. Oh. Um, <laughs> it was something that he loved more than any cup of coffee that you've ever seen. He really got off on that. So I don't know. I, I'm intrigued. Um, I think that we've kind of seen that like Jake Browning is not the uh the, the elite of the elite when it comes to talent and so what he was able to do with jake browning throughout those lower levels and and everything maybe there's something there maybe just as a head coach he's better i, I think what he did at sacramento state is it's fair to say that that is he is one of two coaches in sacramento state history uh to be over 500 the other guy his win percentage was 535 troy taylor is 811 like very much Troy Taylor's experience at Sacramento State is a huge outlier for that program. So it's hard to say this is a bad hire. I just, yeah, I don't know. I, you're totally right, Greg. The comparison to what the other names were being floated out, th- this is a great <laughs> hire. But I, th- I do not have any sort of, like, this is not like Colorado where I think they're going to have a five-win increase next year. Yeah. I kind of, the, the Troy Taylor hiring feels like one of those, like, uh, somewhat risky, like straddling between risky and safe in that Troy Taylor was kind of getting talked about for a bunch of other jobs. Like Troy Taylor is getting talked about for the Cal job, even though it's not open yet. But, you know, when Cal fans had uh, dreams of Justin Wilcox ever getting fired, he kind of came up a little bit in for the Arizona State job. His name has been coming up. And so at, le- at least he was a viable head coaching candidate. Like this wasn't like, who is asking? Like Jason Garrett. Who's asking for this? No one. No one is asking for this guy, uh, except you. So great smoke smoke screen. Uh, I, I don't know. I kind of think he's his trajectory is a little Kalen DeBoer-y, uh in that you know Kalen DeBoer skipped the G five, but like dominated at like Division two Sioux Falls, uh, and and Troy Taylor you know was like had an uh, an amazing run this past year for Sacramento State was nine and three the year before that uh, for Sacramento State after not even fielding a, a team in 2020. Um, I, I think there's some parts of that that are impressive and I'm like, why not? I think more so than anything, why would Troy Taylor go to Stanford? Uh, like I, I do not think Stanford's a, a good job at all. They certainly have money. Sure. If you were just like, yeah, Troy Taylor is like 54 years old. He's 10 years away from retirement. He's going to go make a t- as much money as humanly possible for the next three to five years. Like then it makes all the sense in the world. But if you're talking about it from like uh, uh, the standpoint of like an ambitious head coach who wants to either go on to greener pastures or wants to like win at the place that uh, he's at, I don't know why Troy Taylor would go to Stanford. Uh, Stanford has it will never ever ever relent on its uh, ability to take in transfers. It's not Colorado, right? Stanford doesn't take in transfers because it's Stanford. It's like uh, an elite academic institution that just doesn't take transfers generally uh nil it maybe stanford could relent on nil and to greg and and matt's earlier point like they like from a couple weeks ago it's like they have money to be able to get payers played they certainly have a huge donor base but you know they are they have so far been very reluctant to dabble in nil those two things make stanford an unbelievably hard job troy taylor i don't know he's not being set up well for success there he's just not like he'll do well in high school recruiting because like the academic prestige has like real like weight but then they're just going to transfer after a couple of years and and, unless stanford is winning more than we expect them to so i don't know i i think more so this is baffling from troy taylor's perspective like the Cal job is a better job than Stanford. I don't care that Stanford actually won games like 10 years ago. Uh, in this environment, I'd much rather have the Cal job than the Stanford job. So I don't know. Uh, weird stuff here about Troy Taylor. It's going to be interesting. My biggest thing is I just think the hire is kind of uninspired. Like where could this put Stanford in the landscape of the Pac-12? And for me, the biggest thing I look at is like, yeah, okay, maybe they win a few more big games against Cal, but is it more interesting than what Arizona's doing with Jed Fish? Like, do I even think that this elevates them above Washington State under Dickert? Probably not. 
Um, and so I just, I, I get it was a very hard position for Stanford. Uh, and I don't know necessarily what would have been the high upside hire for them, but I, I just don't know if I see this doing much more than, like I said, turning a few, you know, four and eight years into maybe six and six because you beat Cal and do a little better in non-con. Yeah. That's sort of how I feel too. I mean, there's that, like, it's not, I don't know, even Kalen DeBoer was a bit more of an exciting hire than... Than Troy Taylor. Definitely. Was. The big difference between Kalen DeBoer and Troy Taylor is when Kalen DeBoer was a P5 uh, OC, he had an awesome offense. Mm-hmm. And then he had an often awesome offense at Fresno. Like he has been good at the FBS level at every stop, whereas Troy Taylor has had the one stop and it wasn't good. And even like time spent at the FBS level, you've you've got connections. Like I don't know what kind of staff Troy Taylor right. is going to be able to put together mm. here at this level. Like, is he just going to pull up a bunch of FCS people? Did Stanford hire him because he said he would retain everyone? Like, is that <laughs> was that yeah. something Stanford was going for for some reason? I I don't. I'm very in. I I agree that it's not very inspired. I just there's so many unknowns here. Where yeah, even. With DeBoer, like he had, he had been in the Power Five. He had been at the FPS level for a long time, and you knew if nothing else, he'd be able to do the damn thing. And he should have connections to bring in a good staff. And I don't, I don't really see that with Troy Taylor here. If if it's true that like if 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 it comes out that they were like, yeah, you have to keep the staff. Really fucking stupid from Stanford, and they should burn so to, burn so to the grand, ground. Because, like, Tavita <laughs> Pritchard, like, for how long has he been shitty at his job? Lance Anderson, <laughs> for how long has he been shitty at his job? And they're like, no, no, no. The two actual worst people, like, you'd rather keep David Shaw and fire the rest of the staff than Absolutely. hire a new head coach and keep the rest yes. of the staff. Like, <laughs> the what worst the possible would that outcome. Be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, truly. Um, what the f- if that's true if it comes out that either of those two keep their jobs send Stanford to the FCS replace them with Sacramento <laughs> State I don't care um anyway would be wild anything else about this hire one last thing that's pretty interesting is Stanford actually plays Sacramento State next year Ooh, uh, juicy. Really? And, juicy. Yeah. and honestly before this move that might have been an interesting upset spot for Sac State. Like, so <laughs> they probably win that game now, uh, knowing all the tricks of of the trade with Sac State. But would be interesting, extremely interesting funny interesting if they lost. Spot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, Stanford, you weirdos. All right. Well, that was Troy Taylor getting hired at Stanford. We'll find out a lot more about what the the Troy Taylor era holds in store for us. But uh, for now, we'll see how it goes. We're all, I think we're all kind of underwhelmed and maybe a little bit curious, but less, uh, less enthusiastic than we were for like a Deion Sanders or something. Um, All right, let's talk about PAC 12 awards. Matthew Berson, how about you recap for us? The, all of the PAC 12 awards for us too. Yeah. So um, this is all just the actual PAC 12 media. The one that the PAC 12 conference puts out. This is not the AP. This is not Athlon. This is not any of those other truck stop websites. Uh, offensive player of the year, Caleb Williams, pretty obvious there. Pat Tillman, defensive player of the year, Tuli Tuli Pelotu. I found that interesting that USC pulled both the offensive and defensive player of the year. Uh, freshman offensive player of the year, Damian Martinez at Oregon State. Defensive player of the year for freshman, uh, Lander Barton at Utah, the linebacker. And then uh, went with co-coaches of the year, Kalen DeBoer at Washington and Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. Um, as far as the all-conference teams go, I don't care about honorable mention. Um, if you think that honorable mention matters, uh, please, I would direct you to quarterback Jaden Delora, honorable mention uh, <laughs> for the conference. I love him. Drug of choice. Not even top six in the conference uh, as far as quarterbacks go. So um, USC led the way uh, with the most first and second team representatives with eight, uh, three on the defensive side. Um are, are we sure that okay? Uh, the and then uh, UW had seven representatives: Utah, Oregon, and Oregon State, all with six each. Um, some of just like the highlights of what I found interesting as far as the uh, who was included: um, Andrew Voorhees, uh, redshirt senior, first team uh, uh, offensive lineman. But we also saw Brett Nealon, like four different USC offensive linemen, got first and second team uh, offense and and 
or excuse me, got uh, honorable mention included in that. Again, another reason to not include uh, the honorable the honorable mentions. Wide receivers Roma Dunze and Jordan Addison on the first team. Dorian Singer and Troy Franklin um, at Arizona and Oregon, respectively, on the second team. I thought that was interesting to see a different wide receiver at every team for every position there. So, yeah, that's what we got. It's pretty pretty strong list. Uh, I'm curious to hear from y'all. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot. There's so much discourse around these awards every single year. But let's start with snubs because I think that's going to be the thing that comes top of mind to many of us. So, uh, Reed, you can start us off. Who do you think was the biggest snub of all of these awards or even the first or second all-conference teams? Well, first, I just wanted to correct Matt. Uh, Dorian Singer and Troy Franklin, that's actually Oregon's starting 2023 receiver room. <laughs> that's adorable. Dorian Singer's a ute. Sorry. Um, Sorry about it. I think literally the reason he's in the transfer portal. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with the obvious one. I think Clark Phillips should have been defensive player of the year. I yes, don't Reed, really yes. want to hear it from USC fans. I think it's kind of ridiculous. Clark Phillips was the guy that jumped off the tape most all season. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with that one. It's obvious, but it absolutely should have been him. Greg, you're eager to agree with Reed on this one, so <laughs> go ahead. I was also going to say Clark Phillips the third, although maybe less emphatically than Reed did. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> I knew Carlos was going to say that uh, – you know, only Utah fans think Clark Phillips should have won it uh, because Carlos is stupid. And you did say that before. <laughs> like, you have said that word for word before. Um, anyway, Thule winning isn't that egregious because, like, he did lead the country in sacks. Good for him. Uh, but I do think Phillips was better, like, like uh, Reed said. And it also feels a little weird giving the award to a player who played for such a terrible defense. Yeah, I guess I'm. Uh, so I, I actually think it's completely fair. I think also we're Clark Phillips between, did get the AP Defensive Player of the Year for the Pac-12. Yeah, I, I think we're splitting hairs between Clark Phillips and Tui Tui Pelotu. I think I might have just sided with Tui Tui Pelotu a little bit more because I think he does he matters so much more for USC's defense. Like it's not it's oh, not good. No. It's it's not no. good. I, I don't care about the I don't care about the DB. What's the DB's name? Uh, the USC Clark, defensive back. Clark, you, oh, the no, Mackay no, no, Blackman. Mackay Blackman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mackay no, no, Blackman. no. I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying that um, Clark Phillips is far more important to Utah than Tui Pelotu is. To I, I don't USC. think you can. Okay, so I, here's my argument here: is that USC's defense is bad. I think we can all agree that it's bad, but it's not Arizona bad. It's not Colorado bad. It's not even Washington or even UCLA bad. And I think the biggest reason for that is Tuli Tui Pelotu. I think he is the he is oftentimes the only thing that's going well about that defense. Eric Gentry has his moments, but like sometimes it feels like he gets lost. Makai Blackman's obviously incredible, but like I genuinely think that Tuli Tui Pelotu is frequently the only reason that USC wrecks anything in the in the past game. Um and you know, they've been okay I guess. Uh he's been okay in the run, I guess, but it feels like he's the only reason that uh, USC's defense is even a barely power five level defense. Whereas with Clark Phillips, it's like you can't say that Utah has makes has an argument for one of the best secondary units in the Pac-12 and then say, oh, yeah, but Clark Phillips has to do way more for the defense. Like, I just don't think that argument holds up for me. Like, those two are deeply contradictory. But, Greg, uh, Matt, what were you going to say? Because you have you have thoughts. You think Clark Phillips matters more to Utah's defense than Tilly Tui Pelotu does? Um, I think he absolutely does, specifically when looking at level of competition. Um, Tui Pelotu is not going up against Jordan Addison level offensive linemen. He's not going up against Dorian Singers. He's not going up against all of the amazing wide receivers that we have in this conference. And so the ability to actually like trust someone to go one-on-one against a Jordan Addison, against a Troy Franklin, like that is invaluable completely invaluable and like it allows yes i think that utah secondary is really good it allows that secondary to help a very undersized and a very mid rush defense and that is it allows the safeties to cheat up it'll it, utah's offense or defense is like we already don't think it's great this year 
I'm t- it is dog shit without Clark Phillips and what he's able to do on the outside this year. So I, I yeah, I I do agree that it's splitting hairs when you're actually looking at these two guys. And so my tiebreaker is just the the fact that like I just look at the level of competition. Uh, I mean, I guess that's fair. That's a good that's a good argument. And they didn't have to play some of the better offensive lines. They did have to play Oregon State, which has one of the best offensive lines. But they they did miss Oregon and Washington, which I think would I would probably or say. Or the top four, two of the top four somewhere in that range of offensive lines. So I think that's a fair argument. I don't know. I think they're both awesome. I, I, I like. I have no problems with the AP going with Clark Phillips the third. Like there has been many times where it felt like Clark Phillips completely changed the complexion of a game against in the USC game in the Pac-12 title game. It was like USC went up fourteen to three, and like just based off of Clark Phillips the third's pure talent was able to get a pass breakup that prevented it from going 21 to three, which would have, I think made for a different game in the end. So I, I, I'm, I, I completely get why Clark Phillips the third deserves that, but okay. So defensive player of the year is a heated one. Clearly any other snubs for y'all. It's not a, <clears throat> it's not a snub, but I do want to just like take some time to appreciate the co-coaches of the year. I'm glad they did that. I agree. Uh, Kalen DeBoer and Jonathan Smith both had awesome years. Like, Jonathan Smith, the way he's built Oregon State up, the way that defense has turned around, like, clearly he made a great hire there. And Kalen DeBoer, obviously, going from, you know, an offense that, like, hurt to watch last year to, like, the best passing offense in the country this year. Uh, it's an extremely impressive turnaround, and I'm, I'm glad they both got that award rather than just one of them. I think that's completely fair. Um, I, I thought, I agree that that's like a really good decision because I think it really could have been either one. Uh, I think there's a really strong argument, and frankly, I had a hard time deciding because it's like Kalen DeBoer had the best turnaround, to your point, like year-to-year turnaround. Jonathan Smith has had has done the best program building, I think, in the Pac-12 at this point. Like, unbelievable program building like they have improved almost every single year after five years every single year that he's been there um is is very impressive so i i think that makes all of the sense in the world uh other snubs i'm just glad those two didn't steal votes from each other Mm -hmm. and we ended up with lincoln riley yeah that's my big that's my that was my biggest worry about the coach of the year award was that those two were going to pick off each other and we are going to end up with (laughs) <laughs> Lincoln Riley is the, the nice is thing the is I think these coaches I mean these awards were voted on by the coaches uh like because Jonathan Smith did say you know it probably would have just been my award if I hadn't voted for DeBoer <laughs> <laughs> he did say uh, that he did say that <laughs> uh and so that I do think that they were going to be less eager to hand that over to Lincoln Riley than the media would have been yeah I think that's I think that's fair uh another snub for me uh, I'm going to say uh, th- this is just such a stacked – you mentioned it, Matt. It's a really, really, really stacked group. But I kind of think there's several wide receiver snubs here. Uh, Jalen McMillan, I, I'm i in the minority, and Washington fans and the people that they brainwashed disagree. I think Jalen McMillan might be better than Roma Dunze. Uh, like I, I, I would have at least put Jalen McMillan over Troy Franklin personally. Um, I think Jalen McMillan's awesome. Uh, I, I, I kind of wondered. I mean, he's a freshman, and so like I get why he's not even an honorable mention. Tech McMillan is not is as a snub from like even honorable mention, which is insane to me. Uh, he should definitely. I, I think he should definitely should get consideration for like second team wide receiver along with Jacob Cowing, who was uh, an honorable mention. So I, I think there's a lot of, you know, kind of at the edges of the wide receiver all conference team that I'm like, Oh, there's some really great talent. You're also missing, um, uh, Mario Williams, who I guess missed some of that season too, but yeah, I think Jake, Jake Bobo is probably the one. Oh, that's interesting. That has the oh. best argument in oh. my opinion, but I don't, but I don't, I, I, I don't think that it, it has anything if anything like i really just would like to see the there be a third wide receiver spot added to the all-conference team yeah. to be quite honest yeah right why do we have six linemen and only three receivers even four running backs right. yeah yeah <laughs> even, yeah, yeah. Um, even yeah. four running backs is a lot how do y'all feel about david martinez true freshman getting first team all-conference i mean who else should have gotten that spot 
is yeah. what I'm trying to I mean, think of someone. Is it Ex-Validay? I don't Irving? know. Ex-Validay? Yeah. Bucky Irving, probably a little bit of a snub, maybe. Travis Dye. Missed. It would have been Travis Dye had he not gotten hurt. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, Travis, Dar- Travis Dye is second team offense. Do we think Bucky Irving should have been in a head over Travis Dye? I think there's a real argument there, too. I think so. Uh, <laughs> just the split, the split, the split with Whittington, the split backfield at Oregon, I think is probably what hurts Bucky Irving the most. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it should have been Cam Rising. If he hadn't gotten hurt, it would have been him there. <laughs> Bonix should have been a first, first team running back. I don't know why they didn't put him in there. <laughs> uh, I, all right. Anything else? I feel like we're, we feel pretty good about these. Like, Michael Penix and Caleb Williams, pretty clearly the two best quarterbacks in the Pac-12 by the end of the season. Zach Charbonnet, I think we all kind of agreed, was the best running back uh, there. So, Reed, were you going to disagree with something? I heard you mumbling. Well, I think by the end of the season, Penix and Williams took it away. But I don't know. In the the Knicks was putting together a really good season until he got hurt. I think that's worth mentioning. Like, I think he deserves, he deserves quote unquote, a second team PAC 12 spot, except that they're in this year, particularly our two quarterbacks who deserved it more. If that makes sense. I think Mm -hmm. it's like with DTR, like I wanted DTR to have an all conference spot here, but I don't have an argument for him being ahead of definitely not Williams or Penix. And I wouldn't have him ahead of Knicks either. Although I think they're closer. Um, although I do think, did DTR even get honorable mention? Yeah. Because I think. Yeah, he did. Okay. Um, so did Jake Bobo. The only one, again, that's like a snub from even the honorable mention that I've seen here is Tep McMillan for Arizona. But yeah, Jack Coletto got here. First team specialist. Could have been a first team. He could have been a second team running back, but I get that he only has <laughs> no, like no, no. 15 second carries. Second team tight end. Yeah. <laughs> or or a second team linebacker. <laughs> I mean, con- controversial, and I'm probably going to get some hate for this from Oregon fans. But I, yes. I don't know that Noah Sewell really deserved to be a second oh. team linebacker. I was going to do that, but we've been talking too much <laughs> shit about Oregon lately. <laughs> I agree. Oh my gosh, yeah. I agree. I don't. I don't know. And and the problem is that I don't know who else you would put right. in. Yeah. Because again, I don't know why we have three defense, three linebackers on each team. Like nobody runs a three linebacker scheme anymore. Literally nobody. So yeah, I I would very much rather just have two linebackers on each. Probably move uh, Jack Sermon to second team. But yeah, no, I I agree. I don't. I think that a lot of these defensive players are on name recognition. To be quite honest, like Junior Tafuna was not the best defensive lineman for Utah this year. Absolutely not. And he's on second team. Like definitely a lot of of pieces like that that I'm just like eh. I, I mean, does Caillou Blue Kelly have an all conference season yeah, this year? I, I, I don't, don't think so. Yeah, not really. No. <laughs> Although it's hard to blame him when that defense was so bad. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. You know, it's that's kind of like it's. I, I get it. For the voters, it's probably hard to pay attention to the offensive line and the and the defensive line, and you got to pay attention to all these other things, and you're going across the conference. But, you know, they get paid for this, and we don't. So, I mean, we get paid a little bit, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nobody has to know that. Nobody has to know that. Um, anyway, so there it is. Uh, okay. Any other thoughts about the awards, first team, second team, all conference? It's tough year to be a good offensive player in the conference. It really is. It really is. And a good year to have some name recognition. You were If you were really good in 2021 on defense and came back, <laughs> you got an award. <laughs> Great year. Yeah. yeah, you got an award for sure. Uh, very funny. All right. Let's move on to our next segment. Let's talk about the transfer portal. Transfer portal opened up last week, and we got a deluge of players entering the transfer portal. I saw a tweet from an account, uh, TP4PT, saying that the Pac-12 had 104 transfers by the end of December 7th, second only to the SEC. I don't know how credible that account is, but and I also just like don't have the time to pour through every single team's transfer portal account to confirm that but it does seem right from my browsing i've also seen other accounts that have the pac-12 they all have the pac-12 second to the sec and the number of transfer portal players uh this account also says that the pac-12 has two teams that are in the top 10 in terms of the number of players who have entered the transfer portal do you have any guesses any guesses as to what two teams are in the top 10 of all of college football in the pac-12 in transfer portal entries 
I Oregon's think I might know one, one of them. them. Yeah. <laughs> or, Oregon is definitely one of them. Okay, that's uh, that's one Washington guess. State, I think. Washington State or, or, or ASU. USC. Okay. Or USC. Uh, none of those. Stanford, number one in the Pac-12. Number <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And Arizona tied for number four in the country and second in the Pac-12 with 15. Damn. Wow, Arizona. Yeah. Oh. I know. I know. A little, little scary hours for Arizona. So, Can yeah, get lots fish of... do it again. <laughs> would be insane. It would be insane. So I can't believe 14 is that high of a number. Yeah. Uh, 14 feels pretty standard. 14 yeah. so far. That's true. No, for sure. That's true. Um, okay. I'm curious, which, uh, we talked a little bit about this on the basketball episode. Go stream it if you're curious. But which transfer portal entry have you uh, found to be the most either shocking, you're really surprised, or just the most intriguing? Like you really want to see where they go. Reed, start us off. I think Dorian Singer right now for me is the one I'm most excited to see about. Uh, fingers crossed it's Oregon. Um, other ones, I, I don't know. Like Justin Flo leaving Oregon, I think is the biggest maybe one of the bigger names that entered the portal in the Pac-12, but I think that it's a little bit overblown, like how impactful he would actually be at a next stop or especially how impactful he was for Oregon. Like he played, I think it was less than 20 snaps in the final three games. Um, yeah, those, those are the two biggest surprises for me. Yeah. I think those so are you're two- saying he tripled his career total in those last three games. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's weird. Um, it's very bizarre hearing about like you know Justin Flo, and he's a very talented, very talented player. But like, even hearing complaints all year from Oregon fans, mm-hmm. from non-Oregon fans, that he's just like, like you know, one of those wind-up dolls that just goes as fast as you can straight in a straight line, and then <laughs> towards what end is not really <laughs> clear. Needs some development work for sure. Um, is is Dorian Singer the best player in the Pac-12 who's in the transfer portal? Is it anyone else? I think it's him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's all that close. Yeah, yeah. he's definitely one of the the bigger names, uh, maybe the biggest name outside of Justin Flo. But um, good for him. He's going to get a bag. I've definitely heard of call it like Pac-12 play, Pac-12 teams going after non-Pac-12 players, like. Colorado's get going after a bunch of truck stop players and uh, they're getting a ton of interest. I think that's the exciting part, right? Yeah. Like I think that like as Dorian Singer is entering the portal, I think you're seeing a lot of tweets about like other Pac-12 teams being interested and he him seemingly being interested in other Pac-12 teams and you're not seeing you're not seeing the Caleb Williamses and the Mario Williams leaving, right? Like mm-hmm. that that I think is the biggest part that and who knows? Like, we'll see. I know there's been a lot of noise about how uh, Alabama needs wide receivers, and the Pac-12 certainly has a lot of them. Um, but I think I think that is kind of the most intriguing part, that we are seeing a ton of noise of guys that were starters in the SEC, guys that were starters in the Big 12, seemingly being interested in Pac-12 schools. And that is – that's pretty good. Yeah, that's for sure. No interest in uh... – I'm sorry, I can't even say with a straight face. No interest in Brendan Lewis in the transfer portal, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Brendan Lewis breakout next year. I'm so ready for it. (laughs) I'll stump for uh, Byron Cardwell in the transfer portal. Oh, that's a great one. That's a good one. He's a guy who we all kind of knew he was in the portal. Is he still in the transfer portal? Well, (laughs) looks like maybe probably heading to UCLA. Uh, but we all kind of expected this one, so it didn't catch anyone by surprise. Yeah, right. um, and for Oregon, you know, they took in those two transfers. Those were the style of backs they wanted better. So this is kind of the natural result of that. But if he lands at UCLA in a Chip Kelly offense, like I think he has the potential to be as impactful or more impactful than Dorian Singer will be uh, at wherever he ends up. I totally agree. I think Byron Cardwell is really good and mm-hmm. i'm still kind of baffled at how he just got shut out at oregon uh <laughs> i guess you're right it's a different style of back but like man when you have someone that good i'm, I'm just surprised you can't find a way to use him anyway i'm excited to see what chip kelly does with him because i do think it's going to be electric maybe not quite as good as zach charbonnet was this year just because charbonnet was so good even scheme independent but like i do think it'll be really good 
the DJU Byron Cardwell backfield. Ooh. Yeah, this is what I was going to ask. UCLA run the triple. UCLA run the damn triple. I was going to ask about truck stop players coming into the Pac-12, and I was going to specifically ask about DJ. I'm going to try to say it because I, I looked up some stuff. Uigalele. Like, <laughs> ah, no. <laughs> That was so much better than I thought it was going to be, though. <laughs> was, I, yeah. I, I watched Dabo Sweeney try to say it for year, for like 10 hours. I guess I didn't get <laughs> using you. Dabo. Oh. Da- yeah, Dabo, that was, yeah. That was my big mistake. <laughs> uh, I, none of you all tried it to tap, but I appreciate it. DJ Uyangalale. Yes. Uyangalale. Uh, DJ Uyangalale, uh, he is... He is I don't know, a high profile one, but is he any good? Do you think he has, do you think, here's the question I'll ask, because obviously there's room for him in the Pac-12 because it's, you know, there's some really shitty teams, but are there any schools that you think for whom this would be an upgrade? Because people are kind of out on him for some reason. I don't, I don't, I don't really watch him, but like, do you think <laughs> for some reason? If you watch them, it would be pretty clear. <laughs> I'd like to tell you about a story about one Bo Nix. Yeah. And yeah. He, do you think there's a school for which he could be an upgrade and for which he could benefit from like being put in some really good positions and maybe be a Bo Nix? The Clemson offense is complete dog shit. Like in, in the worst possible way that I could say that. Like it is that that was such a bad situation for him. Now he is not accurate. Most college quarterbacks aren't. So like I don't think that that's the, that he is inaccurate in any sort of an outlier way. Um, but if this is not a Bonick showed a lot more talent and a lot more like down to down ability than DJ does. So. We don't talk about good DJU the way we talked about good Bo Nix before he came, you know? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. We talk about DJU just because of his body and like what he can potentially do running the ball. So I think that him with Chip Kelly would be very, very intriguing, to be quite honest. I don't think that Chip Kelly really asks for very many difficult throws. So I think that could be interesting. Um, I would love to see him at Oregon State throwing the ball eight times a game. Um, I question whether or not that would actually happen. So, but it, it sounds like he's coming West. It sounds like that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. That's what it seems like. And that's why it keeps coming. Any other, well, okay. Just a quick update. Uh, I don't know that, uh, these guys will be coming West, but they are, uh, PAC 12 familiars. Uh, Keaton Slovis also in the transfer portal, along with JT Daniels (laughs) in the transfer portal. Uh, the USC quarterback that was promised. Uh, yeah, both of them. Uh, <laughs> uh, are, are any of those like players that are that you think the Pac-12, any Pac-12 teams you think would benefit from going after? Greg, you're shaking your head no emphatically. I mean, definitely not Keaton Slovis. He's a shitty player. Uh, <laughs> but has he really been that bad at Pitt? He's been that bad since USC. I mean, we yeah. saw it. Yeah, he was. He was not good at USC. You're right. He was not good at USC. Um, but. I mean, JT Daniels is who he is at this point. Like, he can make some nice throws, but he's also just going to throw a lot of interceptions. Uh, And I'm not sure most Pac-12 teams are going to want that. Like, I'm trying to think of who's going to take these guys. Is ASU upgrading with either of them? That's interesting. I don't know. Depends on what Dillingham wants. Uh, Oregon State, I think yes, because Gil Branson's not good. But, like, I hope they could do better. I don't know. I, so my ideal, like, because what are the teams that need a quarterback, like need, need a quarterback? So Oregon State is definitely one. UCLA, they're absolutely going to go for one. Sounds like probably, so Penix is definitely back. Sounds like Nix is leaning to coming back. Do Have we yeah. heard any more than that? Like 75%, I would say right now, he comes back. Utah might take a transfer to if rising goes Utah definitely will take a transfer if rising um, goes and I will punch several babies <laughs> um, oh it'd be the worst I so we're probably looking at what so Oregon State needs one UCLA needs one ASU does Arizona a, ASU probably needs one does Arizona need one uh, I guess they're gonna stick with Jaden Delora I don't see why they wouldn't other, other than the fact that they really hated that he got into a fight with his receiver on the sideline yeah and Colorado uh, has their quarterback, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, no one would transfer there. That's right. I just, a couple of so like my ideal situation. I would love to see either Spencer Sanders or uh, Hudson Card end Ooh, up at Oregon State. Yes, mm-hmm. Hudson Card would actually like he would start immediately, get a ton of playing time. 
I think that would be an incredible match. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Sims and Brennan Armstrong would be interesting Ooh. as well at, like the ASU level. Something like that could could be very interesting. I, I'm leaving Devin Leary out because he's he's going to Notre Dame, so it's not worth talking about. But um, and even like a Jack Tuttle, like I don't think he's good. Is he in or the portal great, again? But yeah. okay yeah he's in the portal again so i mean i i'm i'm very intrigued i think that the success that we saw just offensively across the pac-12 i think could be very very intriguing destination for some of these transfer quarterbacks and hudson card being young dj obviously i think to you cla just makes a ton of sense there's some interesting landing spots any other players that you think are that you'd love to see on a Pac-12 team that are in the transfer portal, whether they're they're a truck stop player or not? Yeah, one place I think we should talk about is Washington State. Them losing Dejon Stribling and Donovan Ollie. Yeah, two starting receivers for them, and then along with Francis Malgoa, who was one of their better, or Francisco Malgoa, who was one of their better defensive players. Um, those are probably the most significant losses for a team in totality in the Pac-12. Uh, I, I just I skimmed all these rankings. That's probably where I'd go. You could make an argument about the cumulative effect of Oregon or the singular effect of Dorian Singer leaving Arizona, um, but those three are pretty big ones at one place. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point. There's a uh, uh, dude named Dominic Lovett from Missouri. Have you all, y'all heard of this guy? He's apparently a headline transfer player. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess a, a, some guy named Earl Early Earl from Alabama. Jojo. Or <laughs> Jojo Earl. Uh, Jojo. I have no. I literally have no. <laughs> y'all, I don't pay attention to truck stops at all. Do not, do not talk shit to me about this. I don't. I don't care. Uh, a, a Chris Marshall from Texas A and M. Uh, I don't know. Was he any good? I have no idea. Uh, I'm just reading it, off names now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of good ones, but I think that going into like. Where they're going to end up at this point is probably a little bit, a little bit premature. Well, one question is just like I think we're seeing a difference in the philosophy between these programs and like the w- some programs being willing to purge talent to bring in new guys, and especially like Oregon treating their roster that way, uh, which. I think a lot of Pac-12 fans have been surprised by, and you can argue whether it's the right path or not, but it's certainly more similar to the approaches that you see at big-time SEC schools or Big Ten schools uh, in terms of how they manage a roster and focusing on being able to bring in potentially 35 new guys with a new class and transfers the next season. So I, I saw a bunch of tweets about this on that first day where everybody was like, oh, look, like, cuts and everything have made its way to college football this isn't new yeah like all of this has been happening that the reason that it's happening in a transfer portal era and where you're seeing so many guys enter into the transfer portal as like this talent turnaround is because they're more amicable to do it like it, cutting guys and saying hey you're not going to play here like call signals and be the the scout team quarterback and all that kind of stuff like all that stuff has been happening and the player just is in a situation where it's like, well, rather than transfer to a different school and still probably not play and like, or just completely deny my scholarship, like I'm just going to hold them to the scholarship and get my education. Like this is not, I don't think that these colleges are necessarily doing anything different. I think that the players are more willing to take the transfer and to go to a different school because like they have a much higher chance of being able to land somewhere and play immediately. I agree with that. Yeah. Interesting. Anything else about the transfer portal before we move on? It's fun. It is fun. It's freaking fun. This is a blast. I, this happened last year when like a bunch of Pac-12 players were going to other Pac-12 teams. And like we saw Jaden Delore going to Arizona from Washington state. It was like a big shock. And like, this is way better than like national signing day. Even the old national signing day, that was like a big deal. It was the only thing happening in college football on like February 8th or whatever, or that first Wednesday in February transfer portal day is so much more fun than 
any off-season content we can get. And I almost wish they opened the transfer portal a little bit later. I get why they don't, but like, I it's a it's a blast. It's my it's my favorite off-season thing. I think is the transfer portal. So glad we get it. Cool stuff. All right, let's move on. The 2022 regular season uh, officially in the books. So it's time to do some calibration and some reflection as we head into the new year. Uh, this week, let's start with our biggest surprise and su- surprises from the 2022 season. Greg, we can start with you. What from the 2022 season was the biggest surprise for you? It does not have to be a team. It can be. It can be a player or a coach or an event or anything. Anything that surprised you from this year? I'm gonna <clears throat> sorry. I'm gonna go with Oregon State's defense. Uh, Trent Bray did just an awesome job there. That's like one of the best one year turnarounds of a defense that I can remember. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't think of any that are as impressive. Uh, they went from being like a real liability last year defensively to probably the best in the conference in one offseason, and I don't think any of us saw that coming. Um, I'm curious what's going to happen next year because they are going to lose a lot of talent off that defense, but this year they did just a fantastic job, and it was an extremely impressive turnaround. So that's that's the one for me yeah to go from <laughs> a bottom like bottom feeding defense in the pac 12 to you know best in the conference and then also like not just the best in the conference but like you know they have the best unit i think of any unit in the entire pac 12 and their secondary their secondary is by far hands down i think the best in the league and that I would say might be the best unit in the league. So I feel like Oregon State is a great. By pick. far the best secondary is a fucking ridiculous take. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think there's no competition between it and Utah. And you always want to talk about Utah, but we can talk about Utah and Oregon State secondary later if you want. But um, it's it's an it's an awesome unit. Uh, like just watching that secondary was my favorite thing to watch on defense uh, of any Pac-12 defense. Like. The way they went toe to toe with every single one of USC's like insane receivers and shutting them down, really fucking cool. Like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So yeah, good pick, uh, Matt. What about you? One thing that surprised you from the 2022 season? Um, I just kind of want to go rapid fire. I think that there was plenty of good surprises. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing to me was Cal losing to Colorado. Uh, eat every bag of dicks that was horrible don't like i hate them mm-hmm. um the biggest surprise though is probably uh shaw leaving mm, Interesting. That's a good okay. one. yeah it's a good one reed what about you biggest surprise from the pac-12 season i think the um, the big picture stuff just the conference as a whole having this many good teams is the big surprise for me yeah. like i did not think we would have six top 20 teams this year at all um i know it wasn't necessarily surprising to this podcast but i think oregon state's rise to <laughs> to nine and three is surprising in general given that preseason they were like at a five and a half game win total in Vegas. Yeah, that's the easiest fucking bet of my life. I, yes. <laughs> uh, yes. So dumb. I really should have put more money on that. Well, and I, and I agree over five and a half. I, I was on it as well, but to get to nine and three uh, is pretty crazy for them. Definitely. Um, in terms of team specific, I don't know. I'm looking, I pulled up like my preseason uh, expectations for these teams. Like my last prediction I put out, uh Washington has to be mentioned and then USC I think those are two teams that overachieved for me uh I did not think USC would be this good in year one I know a lot of people are gonna I be did. like we did of course you should have but no we didn't I, yes, no, we did. I don't think th- we 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 when Lincoln Riley got hired we we had them going 10 and 2 went fucking nuts okay that's not that far. Anyway, sorry, Reed. Didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I, I definitely remember driving in November and all of us collectively freaking out that the conference was dead immediately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and I don't know that we were necessarily that far off on how good a team they would be because I did think they would be a top twenty team, and like the power ratings bear that out. But the fact that they like just. Co- ran through that schedule and won so many games when I thought that they would have a few more slip ups and put themselves in a position to make a playoff 
in the Pac-12 title game and to be one point away from going undefeated in conference play in the regular season is pretty crazy given the fact that no one's done that yeah. in the Pac-12. Yeah. Matthew Huberton, next surprising thing for you from uh, from the Pac-12 season. I mean, it wasn't surprising because your boy called it, but like conference of quarterbacks. That yeah. was a really and, good call. Yeah. That was a really good call. Yeah. yeah. And like, and my like piggyback on that is the fact that like the Cam Ward um, learning curve much much steeper than I think we expected. That I think I think it's really hard to look at the Cam Ward season as anything but a disappointment. Specifically with how we saw so many other transfer quarterbacks come in and look like they had gone down several levels. You know, mm-hmm. like it just just huge turnarounds for them and and a tough season out of cam ward yeah it was uh and and you actually i think expressed some skepticism about cam ward preseason when we were talking about it now how much of that it was just hard to say how much of it like was like the transition from the fcs to the fbs but it was uh really well founded. Now I think he's gotten better, and and also his offensive line is just dog shit. Like I think those two things could absolutely improve for Washington State year over year. But yeah, I think that's a that's one. Another surprising thing for me, Bo Nix. Uh, mm. I I am old enough to remember uh, whenever we talked about Oregon <laughs> and the potential of Oregon, Matthew Hubertson would lean real close to the microphone, <laughs> pause, and say, Bo Nix. uh he was the reason oregon was as good as they were and if he were healthy he would have been the reason that oregon was a i mean we saw just how valuable it was when he got hurt and couldn't move they were a a real genuine conference contender or maybe even a playoff contender if he had stayed healthy for him for people to talk about bo nix as as if he was going to be a bottom five quarterback in the pac-12 to like frequently for like multiple weeks in a row being the best quarterback in the conference Pretty cool. Um, pretty impressive. That was a, a surprising one for me. Any other surprises from the Pac-12 in the 2022-2023 season? I struggle to say this, but like how bad Colorado was. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like we knew they'd be bad, but my Lord. It was stunning to watch just how bad they were. And and because we had seen them have a floor last year, like their floor last year was already, it did not feel like they got four wins last year. It felt like they got like, one uh and like they got way worse and so but even then with all knowing all of that it was like i had no idea that they would be this bad and frankly that one win against cal is like kind of ruining the narrative around how bad this colorado team is like (laughs) cal should be ashamed of itself for losing this game uh had colorado ever been close i guess they were close against arizona state but that's kind of it. Uh, they they like were they had two toss up ish games this season. Uh, embarrassing stuff from Cal. So yeah, yeah, it's so so bad. So so bad. So dumb. All right, uh, let's move on to some game predictions for this week. Does anyone have a uh, pick and party update? Greg, you got a pick and party update? Do we have those anymore? Are those dead? So uh, we might have one for bowl season. Not sure yet, but just as we are post-conference championship, post-regular season. As of now, KG is champion. Uh, he's a god at this. Uh, good just good job, KG. KG, send us, uh, if, you, if you're so inclined, send whoever you feel safest sending your address to. We'll send a sticker or something. How's that? Another sticker. I guess he's already probably gotten a sticker from us. Yeah, he's, he's a patron, patron, but we can find something <laughs> for him. Oh, we'll get a little pin. We have a pin, some really shitty pins. I bought them from a, an unnamed company and <laughs> ordered some pins. There's some <laughs> shitty pins, man. The worst fucking pins I've ever seen. I'll show <laughs> you your reward, KG. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a really to give them out. Extraordinarily shitty pins. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew Hubertson, how about a standing update? Uh, yeah, so we all got the Pac-12 championship game wrong, as we all picked this. <laughs> um, so resulting in re- Greg just like absolutely ran away with the thing. Uh, finished with 72 points, 71 and 19 picking record. Um, Carlos, second in picks. Thank you. Unfortunately, didn't get the points because he was boring and only picked favorites. Yeah, Carlos, you should have picked uh, underdogs 65 like and 25. Me. 
67 points tied with Matt for 67 points and Avery in second at 68 points. How many, uh, how many points did Reed end up with? <laughs> 22. Wow. Wow. You're shitty. You're so bad at this, Reed. <laughs> <laughs> Reed, what do you have to say for yourself? Being that far behind. <laughs> I still think I should have got to watch a quarter of every game before, before I had to make my pick. Uh, I don't know why. You don't. You want special treatment, Reed. What, for what? What, oppre- <laughs> what? what oppressive identity do you have? <laughs> of being a Ducks fan? Uh, all right. <laughs> Thanks for this. We have two games this week. Both of them are basically at the same fucking time because of very stupid scheduling. First up, on Saturday, December 17th at 11.30 a.m. Pacific, Oregon State is traveling to Las Vegas to play Florida in the SRS Distribution Las Vegas Bowl. Dave Pash, Kirk Herbstreit, and Pat McAfee and Laura Rutledge are all on the call for this one. Our Oregon State Beavers are a 10-point favorite. Matt, who wins, who covers? Huh. You mean this great like crew of people calling this game wanted to go to Vegas? Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, I think Oregon State wins. I think they win big. Florida has a ton of transfers out and, and guys sitting out. Anthony Richardson will not be playing in this game, and their backup quarterback um, decided to get into some, uh, some nefarious action. Oh, so, right. Oh, I forgot about um, that. I didn't even know about this. You didn't know about this? Oh, boy. No. Their backup quarterback got caught with child porn. Oh, um, that's right. Jalen Kitna. Not a good thing. Oh, my Is God. It? Jesus Christ. What a moron. So, um, I, uh, yeah, I think Oregon State definitely wins big. I think that's why this this number is what it is. Um, my, I'm... I am so mad that with all of the renegotiation that happened with the Vegas Bowl, that we're not getting a better date out of this. Why is this still on December 17th? Yeah. It's horrible. It it like became a a better, a higher tier bowl and an SEC team and all this other stuff. And it stayed the first bowl game like well before Christmas. Like that's fucking insane to me. It's stupid. Um, Okay. Well, you're right. Good point. Reed, what about you? Who wins? Who covers? Yeah, I think. Oregon State just cares about being there a lot more than Florida does. So I'll pick Oregon State to win and cover. And I will do shameless narratives all offseason about the Pac-12 being better than the SEC as a result. Yes. <laughs> Greg? Um, yeah, Oregon State is just going to care significantly more uh, than Florida. And also, this is their chance at a 10-win season. So... I'm, I'm, I'm not going to bet against that. Uh, Oregon State winning cover. Yeah, I've got Oregon State uh, winning and covering all of the transfer or the transfers and the sitting outs from Florida make this a very clear one for me. The narrative I'm very excited about is that I get to say that if Oregon State and Utah had played at the end of the season, Oregon State would have beaten Utah. So that'll be fun. Um, <laughs> Greg is pursing his lips. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm not going to entertain that. <laughs> Second game. Uh, what happened to Matthew Huberson? Matthew Huberson's gone. All right. Hopefully he comes I back. I think he so was text- uh, preemptively offended by that take you just had, and he decided to leave. <laughs> um, I'll make his pick for him. He, he made a pick. He just sent it in the text chat. Oh, okay. All right. Second game. September, Saturday, December 17th at 1230 Pacific. Wazoo is traveling to L.A. to play Fresno State at SoFi Stadium in the L.A. Bowl. Joe Tess, Greg McElroy, and Molly McGrath are on the call for this one. Fresno State are three-point favorites. Reed, who wins, who covers? I'm so fucking annoyed that we need two screens to watch these games. Yeah, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> stupid. You've got to be kidding me. Uh, oh, I Jonathan think Smith Fresno. got an extension. Oh, Ooh. wow. Six-year extension for Jonathan Smith. Good for him. Good job. Anyway, sorry, go on. A- anyways, Greg. No, I think Fresno State probably wins. I'm excited to learn something oh. about Washington State, see if they can get up for this. They kind of, I don't know. I wanted them to beat Washington. They couldn't get that done. So as punishment, I'm picking Fresno here. <laughs> Greg? <laughs> I'm also picking uh, Fresno. Jake Hayner is still my hero. And uh, <laughs> transfers for Wazoo, uh are are scary. I, I think Fresno's going to win. I'm picking Wazoo. Uh, I saw Oregon State beat Fresno State in Fresno, and I know Oregon State's a better team than Wazoo is, but uh, I don't think Fresno State's that good. I think they look good because they had to, like... You I know. mean, Fresno almost won that game. Without a heroic uh, chance Nolan game-winning drive, Fresno would have won that game. 
that's probably true but it was again it was in fresno uh and i I don't know i think fresno's getting a little too much credit here on the line because of their competition so yeah give me wazoo i think cam ward i'm very curious to see what he does i think cam ward does well against like teams that aren't that good and i'm not really convinced by fresno state from the two games that i've seen from them this season the two games in a quarter because i watched like as I was falling asleep, Boise State, Fresno State, and Mountain West Championship game in the fucking sports book of the Red Rock Casino in Las Vegas as I was dying. So, uh, yeah, I'm going with uh, going with Wazoo. All right. That's it. That'll do it for us. We'll be, we'll be here talking football on the main feed until after the Rose Bowl. For more football stuff, though, you can go subscribe to our Patreon at NoTruckStops.com or follow any of us on Twitter. That's Greg. That's Reed. That was Matt who left. I'm Carlos. Thank you all for listening. And remember, there are no truck stops here. Not even one. Rumors still and thick with smoke. So thick it makes you choke. The crowd vibes in. The coffee's kicking in my patience. And wearing thin. Said I'm lonelier than a single sax on a quiet city street. Things are an-